So this summer, we went uh, to New York on what some of you call a vacation, but I call a mission trip um, because we actually did serve, contrary to popular belief. Uh, no, but in New York, we spent our time this summer uh, studying and learning from a guy named Larry Mabry. He is a pastor of Connection Church in Astoria, which is a neighborhood outside of uh, Manhattan Island in Queens. And there we were serving the Church of Connection Church in uh, preschool ministry in, um, in some new areas in which they are trying to do some neighborhood ministry. But what was really awesome about our trip to New York was learning from a pastor in a context that looks nothing like ours. And learning how he does ministry and how intentional he is and how just active he is in his community. And I remember we were sitting around debriefing from the uh, trip, really. It was towards the very end of the trip. And we were discussing how at times we just felt like we were inadequate. We didn't have the right words to say. And we were nervous and we were worried. What if I don't know the right verse? What if I don't uh, have enough courage? What, what am I supposed to say? How do I know what to say? And I remember Larry looking at, and I think it was Susan, and he said, he said these words. See, Susan was saying, I don't know if I'm good enough. And Larry looked at Susan and he said, you are not good enough. And I was struck in that moment. That's like not what you typically say. But it made so much sense to me. You are not good enough. You are not enough. This weekend, if you leave with nothing else, that is what I'm sitting in all weekend. You are not enough. You are not smart enough. You are not committed enough. You are not pretty enough. You are not devout enough. You are not religious enough. You are not prepared enough. You are not talented enough. You are not funny enough. You are not religious enough. You are not spiritual enough. You are not holy enough. You are not righteous enough. You are not enough. See, your whole life, that's not what you've been told, though. Because everybody's encouraged you with how great you are. You've been told that if you can dream it, then you can do it. If you believe it, you can achieve it, right? Like, we have heard this our whole life. The only limits we have in life are the limits we place on ourselves. Those are the things that we put in our Instagram feeds. Those are the signs that we buy at Hobby Lobby, they don't sell a lot of the you're not enoughs. Nobody's gone to a wine night at Pino's Palette and painted something that said, I am a failure, I am not enough. That is not something we hear. See, you've been encouraged by people you trust, by family, by pastors, by counselors that have always told you you're so great. You're so awesome. And yeah, you might not have gotten in, but that's their loss. Because you're the best. You're the sweetest, most devout, the hardest working. You would be my first pick. And as we hear those things over and over, we also have experienced that rejection of realizing that we're not enough. We have scars that tell those stories, don't we? Those times that no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't make it. 
My very first memory of this was in seventh grade. I remember going to school that morning early because there was going to be posted on the glass window leading into the office a list of everybody that made the seventh grade basketball team. And I remember <laughs> telling mom and dad I need to get there early. And I remember scanning that list, and that was probably the first time that this confident, at that time, probably four foot one uh, stud athlete was told, you are not enough. I was realized that I wasn't smart enough when I got back my scores from APUS history and got no credit. I realized that I wasn't good enough when I couldn't join the honors program at the University of Alabama. I don't need a low bar comment on that either, by the way. <laughs> I realized I wasn't enough to be a part of that. See, we've heard both sides of the coin and they mess us up. We are told we can be anything. But then those dreams of being an astronaut or a doctor all come to a crashing reality for most of us, I guess, when we realize that we just can't cut it. So what does the Bible have to say about you being enough? Surely it provides hope, right? Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 20, Jesus says these words. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You know what Jesus just said? You're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. You're not holy enough. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Who are they? Pharisee literally means separated one. They pulled themselves out of being defiled and being brought down by the common folk. They were the religious elite. They were the ones who added laws to the law so that they didn't fall into breaking the law. They scooted the line back so far and insulated themselves in their traditions so much that they could never break the law of God. They held tight Sabbath regulations. They were always worried with ritual cleanness, and they made sure to tithe everything. And what does Jesus say? He says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs. He doesn't say, oh, the, the Pharisees are doing it right. No, our righteousness, our holiness must be greater than the highest bar of religious excellence that is in this world. You are not enough. Jesus will go on in chapter 5 to explain that while they are following the letter of the law very, very well, they are missing the spirit of it. See, they, they, are, they are not murdering people, so that's good. But they are angry and they slander one another. Jesus says that's sinful as well. That they're not committing adultery, but the lust in their heart is causing them to judgment. I mean, it's going to result in judgment for them. You are not enough. It is not just about being like them. Jesus is saying, my standard is higher than the highest standard that you can come up with. For I tell you, unless 
Your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To help us kind of unravel this concept and kind of meet a good Jesus in this, I guess, as well, we need to flip to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell a parable. Remember, a parable is Jesus telling a story, not an actual event, but he is connecting it to actual events that they would have seen and experienced and understand. So he's telling them a story of something that they have probably witnessed. And this is what he says in chapter 18, starting in verse 10. He says, For two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. And we're going to stop there with this man. Jesus is saying, here is a picture of a Pharisee. And when Jesus shows us the picture of the Pharisee, I think he is showing us a picture of ourselves when we believe that we are good enough. See, the Pharisee shows up to church not to praise his great God, but to brag about what he has done for him. He separates himself. He comes off to the side, but where people can notice him. And then he begins to say, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like these bad folks. And then he begins to brag about what makes him so special. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes not only of what I've earned, but what I receive too. So like I'm tithing even what I'm growing. I am the epitome of religion. Aren't you proud of me, God? Aren't you glad I'm on your team? See, at times this is me. I look around the church and I start comparing myself. I might not have it all together, but at least I'm better than her because I know what she and her boyfriend do. I, I know where he is on Friday nights and I'm not there because I'm a good guy. I, I know that that person hasn't even spoken in small group. They can't be that religious. Or when that person speaks, it's so filthy that there's no way it ever honors God. I am a better Christian than them. Honestly, for many of you, I think you can fall into the trap of believing that you're a better Christian than most. You're in college. And you're at a college ministry retreat. You spent $45 to be here. And you're actually awake in this time, right? Like, so like, you're not just here for the fun and the friends and the food and all that sort of stuff, but you're here growing. You can, you can brag about, well, I served at Saddlewood or I even gave rides to people coming down here. I, I lead on in worship or I help with the youth. I'm a pretty good Christian. I pray before my meals. I read my Bible at least once a week. I don't drink and I haven't had sex. I mean, sure, pornography gets me some, but isn't everybody struggling with that? Sure, my language is pretty filthy, but everybody's cussing. And does God really care that much? And if I've learned anything in college, it's that not everybody can fail. 
And I know I'm better than most. At least the curve will catch me, right? At least I'll pass. At least I'll be there. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm better than average. Then Jesus transitions to the tax collector in verse 13. The Pharisee has bragged about what he has done and what makes him special. The tax collector stands off, far off, won't even lift his head up to heaven, and he beats his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector who in my small group this week we discuss is the one who's making his living, who's lining his pockets off the backs of his neighbors. He's cheating them out of their hard-earned money so that he can live in luxury. It's the tax collector who has chosen to serve the enemy rather than his family and friends. It's the tax collector who is the epitome of unrighteous and irreligious. It's the tax collector who is everything that is wrong in Jesus' day. And it's him who goes into the temple to worship. It says he stands far off. Why? Because he feels unwelcomed and unworthy to be there. He won't lift his head because he knows his sinfulness. He beats his breast and then he says, not bragging of his deeds or believing in his accomplishments, he says plainly, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. His prayer sounds a lot like David's in Psalm 51 after his interaction with Bathsheba. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me and against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Have mercy on me for I am a sinner. Jesus concludes in verse 14 saying this, I tell you it's this man, the tax collector, that went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The man who knows his inadequacies and the fact that he is not enough is the one who receives mercy. It's the repentant, not the religious, whom God is merciful towards. The one who knows he has ruined his chance and is pleading. You are not enough. You are not good enough, devout enough, committed enough, holy enough, sincere enough. No matter how many days in a row you have had your quiet time. No matter how much of your income you give away to compassion children. No matter how much you pray or how many small groups you've attended and led. No matter how many times you're at church. No matter how many ways you serve. You are not good enough. You are not enough. 
And if you had any inkling of belief that you were, James 2.10 completely refutes that. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. A 99 is a failing grade in the way God works. You are not enough. But Jesus is enough. You are not enough. But Jesus is enough. Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read the first nine verses because they're my favorite. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, in case you didn't get verse 6, He's going to come back at it. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift, not a result of work, so that no man can boast. We were hopeless, but God. We were doomed, but God. We were desperate, but God. We were not enough, but God. Rich in mercy, God sends Jesus Christ to those who are dead. Because of His great love, Jesus is sent for the unlovable. By grace, marvelous, extravagant, great and glorious grace. Jesus takes a bunch of people who are not enough and He says, I love you. I know your failures and your weakness, your inability and your inadequacy. I know who you are. I know your wandering eyes. I know your sexual history. I know your Netflix history. I know how you treat your mother I know that you have spent two hours on Instagram every day this week and haven't cracked your Bible. I know that you desire approval so bad that you'll do anything for it. I know that you are lonely and have had some really dark thoughts. I know that you are selfless and self-centered, that you are careless and forgetful. I know that you are shy and not good with words. I know that you are not enough. And he still says, I love you. I like you. I desire you. I died for you. I hung on the cross so that you may be saved. I have taken your sin and your failure and your shame and your guilt so that you no longer have to be condemned by it. I left heaven 
to come to this world so that you can join me there. I know that you are not enough. And that's okay. I know that your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees. I know that you've not just broken one law, but many, many, many laws. And he says that I am enough for you. I have paid your way. I have covered your sins. My sacrifice is enough. Martin Luther, in a work 400 years ago or so, wrote, named The Freedom of a Christian. And ever since I came across this in my seminary days, it has always stuck out to me. And I want to read the excerpt that has just changed me. He says this, Christ marries this poor, wicked harlot, prostitute redeems her from all of her evil and adorns her with all of his goodness. Her sins cannot now destroy her since they are laid upon Christ and swallowed up by him. And she has that righteousness in Christ, her husband, of which she may boast as of her own and which she can confidently display alongside her sins in the face of death and hell and say, if I have sinned, yet my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned. And catch this line at the end. All his is mine and all that is mine is his. His perfect righteousness is mine. And all of my sin and shame and not enough is placed on Him and is nailed to the cross. Tonight, what I hope that you get is simple. You are not enough. No matter how hard you work at it, no matter how great you are, you are not and will never be enough. But Jesus is enough. His perfect righteousness is enough to cover every single bit of your history, of your present, and of your future. You cannot outrun His grace. You cannot ruin your chance. Because He says, I am enough for you. So my prayer tonight is that we echo the prayer of the tax collector. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. We don't try to church it up. We don't put lipstick on a pig. We don't make ourselves seem better than we are. We lay at the feet of Jesus and say, I am not enough. And we're okay with that. This isn't an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse to wild living and all of that. And you understand that. 
We don't abuse the grace because we, re we revere it so. We don't take advantage of what He has done because we know how fantastic it truly is. We're not proud of it, that we are a sinner. But we aren't ashamed to admit it because we know who we are admitting it to. 